0: Welcome to the DM's Book Club, a podcast where we read about some Dungeons and & Dragons and discuss how we might include it in our role-playing campaigns. Um, hello? <laughs> <laughs> hello? 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 <laughs> sorry, that came off so well. I and I'm did. so t- and I'm so tired. Yeah. <laughs> c- I'm surprised by myself. My name is Fiona. And with me back from a couple of weeks, like it's been a long time since we've actually done this. So Ryan, hello. Welcome
1: back to DM's book club. Thank you very much. Yes. I, I very selfishly moved house, which took a lot of time and effort and took me away from the microphone for a little while. But I'm back raring to go with some more dnd for you which is a good note. I'm, I'm well though it's, we've all moved it's been a life of boxes so generally speaking my DD books went into a box and came out like three weeks later and by the time i managed to take them out and, and sort of put them away my hands were shaking with that sort of withdrawal symptom of like no i must consult my dm's book because i've forgotten how greater healing potions work and stuff like that what dice is a d12 is it a d10 no i know i know the problem i've got is i'm an utter snob as well if there's something i need to know that is in a book that i own i feel that crushing weight of responsibility that i must somehow use the physical book at the expense of everything else even if it's easily googleable mm-hmm. that's my problem is anything in D&D? you tend to be able to oh on the fly i wonder how much you know yeah, because it does And you're like Okay well I'll just Google it But no mm-hmm. If it's in a book I must find the book I, yeah. I don't know what it is But there's just something Like I've, I've invested the time And effort It looks pretty Someone wrote the thing
0: There's something That um, Frank Skinner once said Is that Oh if he knows something He refuses to Google it Because he knows He knows it And there'll be moments In a conversation He goes Oh I know this thing And then like 20 minutes later you will shout it out loud At the person he's talking to So that's what I like to think Happens with you <laughs> You just go Wait a minute <laughs> 45 Absolutely. gold Phew don't
1: it <laughs> exactly exactly especially because i write all over my books and i know i know it because it's uh it's there <laughs> i know every time i say that
0: I still have this image of you like almost like Indiana Jones style opening your box and the gold coming out like oh,
1: oh yeah, like the art yes. of the covenant oh man could you imagine putting LEDs or something small down the spine of your book on the inside to like light you up just on every single page
0: I, I, I would assume that you would get migraines Ryan I would. That. <laughs> that would be absolutely
1: uh, terrible <laughs> uh.
0: what are we talking about today Ryan what is our topic of choice
1: we play a lot of d and a lot of other people play a lot of D&D and one of the biggest decisions when you play it is what are you playing a lot of people choose to play written modules like Curse of Strahd or you know when you uh, uh, there's a list there and I'm thinking I can't think of any other one Tomb of the Mad Mage no? Close.
0: That, that, that's, that's Close. two into one that's two into one <laughs>
1: What am I thinking of? I had Tome in my head. Tim of annihilation. There you go. That's it. (laughs) There you go. I'm I'm refusing to Google it. I know. I know it. So I'm going to shout it out randomly, like the a sentence. A lot of people play pre-bought material that the DM can have a look at and read through and build a world from it. And from that comes not only the quests and the law and whatever adventure the party are going to go on, but whatever support network they do or don't have. When you take the reins yourself as a DM, you have a little bit of a choice and freedom as to the adventure you wish to produce. Are you going to have an independent tale of strife where your characters go and take a small precious object thousands of miles and drop it into a volcano No, that one's done or are <laughs> they going to go to a school where they learn all of this sort of magic they need to take on some evil fit no, that's done as well but your choice effectively in the adventure that you take and one way you can do it and this is something that has kind of been mentioned in the dm's book before but tasha yay tasha yay. she expands on it a lot is chapter two, Group Patrons, mm-hmm. the chapter that take you through what an adventuring group can benefit by working under an organization or patron of significant power.
0: I was very curious when you picked this one because I, I had read it through a couple of weeks back thinking this is quite cool because I've, like yourself, Ryan, most of the campaigns we've run or we've done one shots of, either the players don't know each other or they just happen to be in the right place at the right time in a tavern and a notice goes up saying "adventurers wanted, et cetera, because we think that's the easiest way that people would get together. So it's quite nice to have a way to have the party already know each other and have mm. a way that is not necessarily alcohol or even mercenary related. Like, you're not yeah. setting that precedent saying like, hey, you know, you've know, all been drinking, let's go kill some goblins. <laughs> it's like, yeah. there's an actual sort of a grander purpose for it. That's what it says in Tash's, which I, I was like, oh, that's actually quite cool. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So what kinds of patron are we talking about today?
1: Well we've got all sorts of reasons and all sorts of groups that could be in charge of the adventurers and they range from being huge organizations with financial power and reputation to lone powerful individuals who might have established a wedge of power in some corner of your D&D world. There's actually 9 different things in the book or 9 different examples it gives you of which the ninth will come on to last, but we're going to be taking a look at a few of them today. We're going to be taking a look at academies Criminal syndicates, guilds, and being your own patron. Because I think there's a good range there as to sort of the different types of establishment, good and bad, neutral and aggressive, and then that brilliant what do you want to do?
0: Mm those first three cover quite a wide range of areas. And I definitely have thoughts on the Academy one. (laughs) Spoiler, (laughs) I work in higher education and some of it rings true and (laughs) a lot of it does not. So (laughs) I'm really interested in your thoughts
1: on it. It's whenever I find it talks about, this is an organization where everybody can help constructively with each other to push each other positively. And you're thinking, I don't know any organization in the world that is like this at all. This is the biggest piece of Fantasy in D D. Yeah. Ignore the dragons, ignore the giants. This is this is total rubbish.
0: Yeah, peak high fantasy is when people are working together to gain knowledge. <laughs> <It's> yeah. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh man, there was somebody had done a little cartoon about that. Again, picking up the Lord of the Rings as the analogy, where they all sat in Rivendell around the council, going, "We must take the ring to Mordor." And they'd obviously replaced things with you know the people around there with modern day equivalents, where they're saying oh yeah but I've got holiday leave and I need to go and take that and someone's like oh yeah I've got a cousin I can I can take us in that direction oh yeah but I could write a book if I stole it so they go and steal it or something and it's just Amazing. Like, yeah modern day why don't we go through this sort of overview of them a little bit first because I think there are some overarching themes here that once you get your head around them you realize that actually a lot of what group patrons are about you may be putting into your campaigns anyway how they work, what they provide to the party. That session zero link is a really good place to start, actually, because when you get a group of new players, experienced players, around the table for that first session, even if, not in a, a campaign generally, even if it's just a one shot or a new arc of a particular story, finding that binding reason why they are adventuring or doing something is really really tricky there's a reason why online all of these lists of 101 reasons why your party have got together and and are adventuring Mm -hmm. is such a popular thing because it's a trope they all meet in a tavern and something happens i've used it before i will use it again because it's a very good way of linking it together and Mm -hmm. when you get distinct PC personalities around a table. It can be very difficult to find an overarching theme as to why they might be somewhere. You've got the edgelord, you've got the widowed assassin, you've got the trope comedy character. How are they all going to be in the same place doing the same thing at the same time? It's quite tricky. And, And patrons act as a really good way of doing that because if your party are all connected to a higher organization, they could have just been recruited or pushed into a situation in order to essentially perform an act or a service in the name of that patron so that's a really good way of doing it but the support network it provides as well it can actually leverage or give background to an entire campaign in terms of both story but in terms of how you as dm want to run it the idea of a patron is that there are perks and Mm -hmm. assistances to actually being a member of whatever guild or academy that you are actually in there's got to be a benefit for the party you don't just become part of this group well unless maybe it's a criminal syndicate for instance but Mm -hmm. you have chosen to be part of this group and you receive a benefit from it is it because the guild has a reputational bonus is it because they have resources available to them that span across the entire continent are they in possession of knowledge or are they responsible for dealing with a safety of something much greater than your player which actually forms the backbone to your campaign they're a really good way of sort of putting i like to think of the spine of the mm. campaign no matter which branch your party take or whichever npcs inevitably they befriend be it billy the deckhand who you designed to be a disposable character in series one and, and they you know end up taking it through the entire character or <laughs> jimmy the kobold who again was a comedy death that they picked up and now having a backpack on your character's sort of arm doesn't matter what they end up doing the guild or the patron group Mm. can effectively act as that spine that keeps things together throughout the entire story
0: when you have characters who are so vastly different, it's like, well, why would these people stay together after the first quest or first thing? And the idea that it is admin that keeps them together yep. feels so real, unbelievable. That you have to work with these people day in, day out, and whether or not you get to be friends or not, or or acquaintances, I think it just adds that different dynamic. Like, there's always this rule, rule in improv, whereby you, the scene or the the session is better if you know each other. But you don't need to know each other in a positive way. You could have, you know, the rivals within the group, the ones that butt heads over, like, oh well, the paladin says we should do this, but the rogue says this, and the wizard says this, and coming to that group consensus, it just reflects real life. And yeah. I think it is quite nice to have that sort of like, I guess that's sort of taking that from real life and then putting it back. And I, I've always said this when I've talked about D&D at work is that actually role-playing these sort of things is really good for team building, because then you get to see yeah. other points of view and then blast them with an <laughs> blast, which you can't do in the real meeting, but it's way to work <laughs> things out. Um, yeah. yeah.
1: And then someone put it really well a little while ago where they were saying D&D kind of replicates real life in some ways, but the big advantage it has over real life is that all problems can be solved, which is a really nice thing, especially when it comes to sort of building a group together and building a story and being very positive as a force in your life, is that it doesn't matter what's going on in your campaign, generally speaking if you put your mind to it, you can do something about things. And real life is an absolute, well, as we know from the last sort of 12 months and everybody's been going through, some things you just can't do anything about. You have to ride out and you have mm-hmm. to, uh, life is quite a sort of chastening experience a lot mm-hmm. of the time. And d d can have those dramatic and difficult things to deal with. And it can be used as a sounding point to actually make you think, oh, wow, actually there's a lot there to think about. And I'll mm-hmm. take that away. Into my life, but mm. everything can be dealt with. And sorry, that's just a total. This is no, my love of D and D that we're talking yeah. about now. um
0: oh, No, but I, I agree with you. I think there is something like like I, I've always said this to you, but like our weekly D and D games are certainly a highlight to me. And the fact they're so early in the week gives me something to push through Mondays. Mm. And I think oh gosh, this is this hates me back. There was a news article on the BBC News like four or five years ago, which talked about the rising loneliness in young people. And it talked about when you're in big cities, so that people are busy, you know, busy, they've got stuff on and stuff on, but they don't make time. And they talked about like young mothers, obviously not having that support network, which obviously we've just talked about, or the culture was being pushed forward by like, you know, productivity and yeah. alcohol. And because that's the only way you socialise. And for young, younger people, you know, say that 30, uh, 31, <laughs> um, but having something that was, regular and something where you're working towards it's something collaborative it's silly it can be serious and creating a very unique story that always have those you have to be that moments was actually something i never considered how important that was and it doesn't have to be obviously role-playing games it could be board games video games with other people like we've had this ourselves when we played sea of thieves or mm. raft or anything like that where i was never big into these crafting games but then i realized it was because i was playing them by myself and now that yeah. we have a bit more time to do it there's something amazing about d being bringing people together, setting them an objective to aim for. But at the same time, if they don't get it, it's not a failure. Whereas, obviously, in yeah. real life, if you fail to get something, there are repercussions. There are repercussions yeah. in the game, but it doesn't reflect too far. And I think that it's being able to explore those options in a safe environment. Yeah, I found yeah. it so important for that. So I absolutely yeah. agree.
1: It's, it's that sense of being part of something that's greater than yourself as well. I find maybe it's just a personality type thing, but if I am struggling with something or I am finding myself at a loggerheads with confidence or ability or just sheer will or drive to do something, if you flip the scenario and somebody that I care about or a friend or even a player in a game that I'm, I'm sort of doing something multiplayer with, if they have the same problem I do, suddenly, everything switches on and you're like, oh, that's easy. I will go and help them with that problem. And mm-hmm. if, it's, if it's happening to me, I may apathy may win the day and I may live with that problem for, for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. But if it's someone you care about, if it's a purpose greater than you. Mm-hmm. It's much easier sometimes to funnel that positivity and that drive Mm-hmm. into pushing through and keeping yourself and, and weirdly pulling yourself back up it's um mm-hmm. it's that trope that the sort of neutral good characters you think oh well they're just enablers they're just trying to be as helpful as possible and they're just a trope of goodness that is clueless but actually mm-hmm. people don't realize that especially in this applies to real life as well if, if you're kind and you help people you find that weirdly it's quite selfish because it it pushes you forward in a sort of funny way Uh, having that that greater purpose really pushes you through like being part of a patron look at that link seamless seamless. exactly like a scythe (laughs) love
0: it love it
1: (laughs) oh dear should we dive in
0: let's dive in
1: (laughs) so the first group we're going to talk about here is an academy yeah now i have to say as we film this we've mentioned this before we kind of well actually fee keeps a camera on for me i'm really lazy my camera's over and i'm you know you know it's behind a sticky i do that thing where i put like a little sticky note over my camera so that you know the criminals can't log into my Mark's webcam a
0: bird, can't see what you're up to yeah. exactly and
1: steal <laughs> my face id which is very important as you all know so when academy came up fee's face just went oh no it's, it's like that sort of realization of being part of something that's now been put into a, a cog
0: in a big big
1: machine <laughs> exactly but an academy is supposed to be some sort of educational establishment that is pursuing either knowledge or power or some sort of protection of, of secret that is beyond the wider population. Uh, Typically, an academy is built to teach and to enhance its members, either through skill or through arcane knowledge in some way. Typically, they tend to be a little bit secretive in the way that they function, either because they are picky about who they take off the streets and allow to become part of the academy. Think private schools or something with like an entrance exam or maybe they're very secretive because they possess power that they deem to be uh, off the limits to the population, either because they are too powerful and important to share it with the population because it's a mechanism of keeping power, or maybe it's because the secret is very dangerous and needs to be kept out of the wider population generally. So there's lots of different types of academies. I'm thinking, i just trying to think of the more sort of generic examples. Hogwarts would be a really good example. Yeah of somewhere i've forgotten the names of all of them but matt mercer has a few really good academies in his critical role campaign that are all to do with like the cobalt Cobalt soul Soul.
0: yeah yeah would be a good
1: example like i think they are like more of a spy monk-esque network but they also keep a lot of books and they're also very closeted and unless you're part of them you know you're not going to get anything out of them so Mm -hmm. generally speaking that's sort of what an academy is but the one thing that unifies them is they are full of knowledge and power if you are in their good books so Mm -hmm. being part of an academy gives you a set of keys to knowledge and materials that is off limits to the rest of the population that's sort of it's Eagest perk, really.
0: There's a line in it which says, in the pursuit of knowledge, no risk is too great. Which again is that mm. sort of it's like a, a good sort of hogwarts that <laughs> do not tickle a sleeping dragon. It's that sort of yep. thing, I can imagine, under every single insignia. Yeah, it's it's definitely of from what I understand, it feels like a very certain perspective on what an academy looks like, in the sense of it is an old-fashioned institution. It feels very US-centric in the way that obviously you have all these departments and stuff like that, which we'll sort of go on to. And it is very idealistic, <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. which is
0: which is great. And I think that, like we said before, like obviously high fantasy, you can do whatever you want because things are not happening. But I guess for me, going into d d what I've discovered is actually the more fun I have really in it, it's the more true to real life it is, which I know sounds like a real contradiction because you want to get away from it. For me, I know at the back of my head it's like, well, where's that person that says, oh, you've run over budget? You need to cut. <laughs> you need yeah. to. I'll, yeah. I'll get back to you, and then they never get back to you for like two weeks. Again, I just wanted that little bit of bureaucracy or the red yep. tape somewhere in there that's that's the only thing I was like oh I wish that I had that in there just because then I would feel really immersed
1: oh yeah <laughs> all of these patrons are full of as much bureaucracy as you want to put in and bureaucracy can be quite entertaining especially for players who can wield fifth or sixth level spells and you know can raise armies of the dead or you know level them in in a particular one turn round but mm-hmm. if they're dealt with red tape suddenly they freeze up and they're absolutely useless i I, I like that sort of ability <laughs> (laughs) but academies generally right what are you getting to be part of an academy there are perks Mm -hmm. don't you know real Mm -hmm. perks like in most sort of guilds or patreon groups they essentially can pay you to do the work they have a list of tasks or assignments that they would want to do again a really good plot arc point for a dm if you are unsure what to do with your campaign just having your academy give out tasks and jobs that further their influence across the world can be a really really good thing sort of keeping the campaign moving but compensation not only being able to pay effectively for the accumulation of resources like if you pick up an artifact or a book from somewhere the academy will go great here's some gold we will we will give you a bounty for it effectively um Mm -hmm. but also giving accommodation giving food, giving resources, places to repair your equipment, all these things are are sort of given to you as part of being part of the academy effectively. Mm-hmm. You get documentation, which it does say yes. may not be a good thing, mm-hmm. depending on the actual reputation of your academy, but maybe that set of keys to knowledge within your academy can be applied to other areas of your campaign that may know the academy and may give you some sort of reputational in effectively oh you're a member of x hogwarts school of magic milkshake making great well we'll let you into this you know dairy guild here you go here are the keys mind betty on the way in Uh, that's the sort of thing that you could give it may not be a good thing Mm. they may think oh actually the academy is well known as being a pocket of necromatic research and the farmer's guild don't like that because all of our guild members have pitchforks and we tend to light torches and come at you in very traditional mob form when you appear so mm-hmm. you to be careful of that research is a big thing as well xanathar's guide has all kinds of downtime things that you can get up to and we'll be referring back to them a little bit as well if you've got a week between stories what does your character get up to do they learn something do they make something well if they're researching some sort of piece of law then you actually have access to not only abundant resources, but you also have colleagues, contacts, librarians. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of a librarian who goes around <laughs> finding things for you. That just makes you really happy. Oh.
0: It reminds me of like Giles from Buffy. The, you mm. know, they had the library in uh, Sunnyvale High School, and Buffy goes out and kills things and then comes back and Giles was like, Oh, I found all the... Oh, you've done it. <laughs> like, yep. that's, that's exactly how I imagined uh, librarians would be like...
1: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Oh, Giles would be amazing in a campaign. But you need to... You can't go to Homecoming. You need you, it on Vantage. You're Vandu- not my dad. Exactly. <laughs> I want to be a teenage girl. Yes, uh, but you're super strong. I know. Uh, uh, Buffy, this would be normal.
0: Oh, it's such goodness a...
1: Goodness oh, me. Oh, yeah. dear. having resources for training and the sort of quest pieces as well. If your academy doesn't have something, they probably can get it for you with some way. But training is a big thing as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Downtime activities. I have a lot of uh, people in campaigns continually coming to me to ask for either changes to the character because they don't like certain bits or... To say, actually, we took a direction in this campaign that when I made the character two and a half years ago, I wasn't exactly expecting. Can I get this skill or can I change this thing? Mm-hmm. Then yes, if you're training for skills or for abilities that come with the part and parcel of the academy, they, you have advantages and discounts on learning those trained mm-hmm. skills. So you want to become proficient in arcana Fantastic. Here you go, His proficiency. You can, you can do that with this sort of... You know, as I say, you can spend some time with Giles, and for a discounted cost, he will teach you the skill. So there are lots of different things that you can do,
0: (laughs) having a Giles fee. Exactly. But just to go back slightly, the different types of academy. Because, like you said, obviously when we think of academy, maybe for you and I, I instantly think university or, like you said, a magical school stuff. But actually, on the obviously, Tasha loves her tables. I will say that you've got Mm -hmm. like boarding schools, Arcana Enclave, but. At the bottom, if you roll a six or the D6, you have Museum of Dreams. And I'm like, mm-hmm. why is that not higher up? <laughs> like yeah. uh, yeah. magical communication or shared dream states connect a network of wide-ranging specialists. Like, how cool is that? Like, I, I think the lower down you go on all of these lists, the more they've gone. Okay, we've got the atypical obvious ones. We need two or three more. And people have gone. Why not dreams? And they've gone, yes, put that in <laughs> oh.
1: exactly, exactly. We're thought stealers. Is that is that okay? As an academy? Yep, sure, great. Well, we'll say nothing more about this point. And you're like no, no, no. Let's let's circle back to that. That's quite <laughs> terrifying. Yeah,
0: <laughs> but yeah, it, it, again, there's just always different again it's okay to have a boarding school but if you want to have that little little bit of flavor in a campaign or something like this why not dreams why not something beyond what i would say like the neutral being like boarding school or an evil good because obviously you've got like the secret monastery or elite institute all that sort of thing and then you've got the vault of secrets Ooh. like again i'm thinking like borderlands and that sort of that sort of thing and yeah it's just it's just nice to see that obviously there are different types and it's not just you don't have to go for the obvious one there are examples of but again they are quite special and mm. it's like if this is cool if this is true what else is true so you'd have to adapt a bit of the world around it to make yes. it worthwhile i'd say
1: exactly so once you've got these perks and you're in the academy there are all kinds of ways that you've actually then sort of function through the day-to-day activities and that gives the academy purpose because they're giving you all these perks they probably want something in return <laughs> through all of these Patreon groups you have a contact something that effectively gives you the orders and acts as your representation between you and the greater powers who are far too busy within the guild to actually then talk to you the head of the academy you know you can't just walk up to Dumbledore's office you've got to deal with the the Snape's and the flitwicks before you can really, you know, communicate with him. So mm-hmm. there, and there are these brilliant ones. I, I like the idea. Sorry, the, the top one, the harried functionary, a yep. disinterested secretary conveys written correspondence to you from an exceptionally busy or aloof senior faculty member. I like that. Yep. Somebody who doesn't care gives you instructions from someone who's too busy to see you. That's the bureaucracy that everybody wants in a D&D yep. campaign. I love yep. it.
0: I've been in contact with those people. Yep. <laughs> That's what I felt. Yep. Um, but I quite like the second one, though, the celebrated instructor. Uh, despite their throngs of an ambitious assistants, they consider you their star pupil. I'm instantly getting uh, Lockhart uh, flashes you know from uh, mm-hmm. Chamber of Secrets Because that sort of thing where it takes interest in you Even though you're like no go away So like yeah. You could have that almost antagonistic relationship With them which yeah. I would love
1: Even you take the phrase celebrity Researcher and you really put a Lockhart Approach to it and saying celebrity doesn't Necessarily mean successful it just means famous Maybe he's useless in using you mm-hmm. To actually do all of his reputational Achievements and you know within Ten sessions you realise that all of your achievements Are being celebrated on his behalf yes, Or something exactly. like that.
0: The final one I really loved was the Wizened feature, where again, I, I again, you might have more experience of this than I do, but like, um I just imagine, you know, Oxford all these stuffy rooms and stuff, and it's like, what do you want? And it's like just yep. an old man, like surrounded by books, to go, go away. <laughs> <Yep>.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's academics who have an office, but they ignore the office and yep. have claimed a part of a public space, and it, that <laughs> is their office now. So even though it's the the chemistry lab for second years, you go to it, and they have set up like three desks and if you go anywhere near them they're like what do you want no this is my book I, then, I lent this away, five years ago away. to someone and they took two weeks to get it back to me so i'm never lending it again something sort of you think oh no Absolutely. here we go <laughs> so what does the academy want from you well again they can give you quests they have a what they call an academy fact thomas i don't know how I, i'm pronouncing that but that that's a word i've never seen before i don't nope. like that but essentially. <laughs> what it's trying to get at is that the academy has a purpose and the quests it gives you effectively push you towards fulfilling that academy's purpose so mm-hmm. let's say your academy is in the business of collecting forbidden history was one of the options it gives you you will find yourself in tombs and long lost places quite a lot looking for artifacts and books that have been lost and need recovering that's all absolutely fantastic let's say that you are Ken. i quite liked this one it was crypto geography which sounds like something that could be scientific but it's just search for proof of the hidden land or that the world isn't structured as commonly assumed yes you can be the person who's trying to prove that atlantis exists i love that it's it's just as an idea it's just it's just amazingly fun but as a dm your academy has a, a functional aim it wants to do something what is it and why is it pushing players towards effectively doing quests of a certain type
0: again it's it's up to the dm's discretion but there's no time limit as where again obviously in real life there probably would be i think my only my only criticism of all these patrons which i'm sure we'll go into in a little bit is that apart from i'd say the criminal syndicate there's no uh reference or thing of what happens if you don't complete these things, other than like, oh, we'll take perks away. And all the perks are really interesting and they give you this food for thought, but there's nothing like necessarily gameplay advantage to it. It is all sort of like role play flavor, like you said, like the training and the research and sort of all optional, really. And that's totally fine. But it's that sort of thing is like, well, what if we don't complete the mission? What if we, you know, what if we keep the artifact for ourselves? You probably say they get kicked out or something like that, but then that's might might be what they want. Whereas I think what would be really fun is that you are you are just put on with lots of menial tasks, uh, like mm-hmm. you know deadlines and stuff like that, and you, you're we're not allowed out until you finish these these little little things. So it's, I guess for me it's just tweaking the way like. What is the consequence of not fulfilling your duties to the university? Because yeah. you, you'd be off to one mission. And as one is tended to do, you probably get sidetracked by a whole load of things. And then eventually you come back. Probably the academy is like, where the hell have you been yeah. <laughs> for like You've two you missed two
1: years. this many lessons. You owe us this many fees for your dues. What are you doing? Yeah. And I like to think as well, um, Xanathar in the downtime activities, there's a lot of references to rivals as being quite a fun entertaining thing where maybe when something negative happens your rival does it successfully and that for whatever reason gives you a bit of grief so if you don't do the quest properly then maybe snooty poopy pants is the one that comes in and very gallantly saves the day and he gets all the benefits and you don't and you're like oh damn you and your floppy blonde hair i find you absolutely (laughs) repulsive and that's a quest thing in itself
0: no, I like that. That's actually probably a really good way to motivate people. It's like, oh, you don't get it. Then some other person does. That's not the hero of this story. I like yeah. I like that a lot.
1: As you mentioned, academies aren't the only thing. We're going to have a look at criminal syndicates now, which are a little bit different mm. in motivation, because I quite like this one. Unlike an academy, which you probably joined or somebody willingly provided the push to get you into it a criminal syndicate you may have chosen to join but it may have chosen you to join because of some debt or some issue that it had with you maybe you killed the wrong person maybe you bribed Mm -hmm. the wrong colleague maybe you extorted money from the wrong place that was under its control and now you owe the criminal syndicate big maybe you are the chaotic evil character your dm hates and you need a very functioning way of being railroaded into a sensible campaign so the criminal syndicates the clever thing to sort of do with you or maybe you just fancy a bit of an anti-hero campaign where you have good people working for bad people to do good things Mm. something like that or there can be a real range of reasons why you might work for a criminal syndicate and there are all kinds of different syndicates that it gives you as examples anything from thieves guilds and assassin societies really think your sort of skyrim or high fantasy groups of people who do nothing but steal coin pouches from old women in markets or decide Mm -hmm. to kill off random cousins for people trying to crawl up the throne of well either a throne or an inheritance list of some kind Mm -hmm. but there are other ones as well like pirate fleet amazing we've played too much sea of thieves recently to turn that one down as an (laughs) option (laughs) So I like the idea that you are part of some sort of large pirate consortium and mm. you are, you've are you got your own ship and the, the bureaucracy is mundanely stupid things like you didn't buy your cannons from us. They're oh not to the regulation. We're yes. really, really pissed off or you didn't <laughs> burn the corpses of the things well enough and now the pirate lord doesn't feel like you've really flamed the flag, the hymn prop play or whatever mm. it might be. Yeah, there are all kinds of things. The two bottom ones, I didn't know which one would appeal to you more body snatchers or thought thieves I mean, I like the alliteration from thought thieves, but... Yeah,
0: thought thieves, I, I did think that as well, <laughs> just like, ooh the psychic criminals infiltrate their targets' minds to steal secrets and disguise their existence, like, whoa. Oh my goodness. It just feel like a bit 1984, I will say, like, I'm sure yeah. they have a thought police is what they're called, that's right. But I, yeah, again, I love the idea of the pirate fleet, they say that no. it's like, we have a code, a pirate's code and there are more guidelines. However, in the- this case, yep. we just don't like you. I was <laughs> yeah, just thinking about exactly. all those Pirates of the Caribbean films where you have Keira Knightley going, We must do something. And they're
1: like, ah But there'd be a cold. <laughs> yeah, there'd be a cold. We all stick to the code. We all stick to the code when it suits us. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And then when the plot determines that we need to forget or pick up the code again. So what do you get from being part of a criminal syndicate then? So it is full of perks that are all designed to enable criminal enterprise. As long as you don't drag the guild publicly through the mud, which tends to be the things that it dislikes, or get <laughs> the certain safe houses and, and sort of benefits that it provides that you can accidentally spill to the way the public and it may not like you doing that and may take those perks away from you in the future but yeah. essentially a criminal syndicate wants to enable you to thrive as a person and instead of paying you directly it takes a cut of the money that you earn mm-hmm. so it's really your responsibility to earn the money to steal the thing to coin the gold And it will then effectively assist you in giving you the tools equipment or even the excuses you need to do your job and then hide from the job and repercussions from the job afterwards Mm. it also has some very useful things to do with attaining and then selling contraband in the style of what they call fences Mm. so not only can you purchase things that may be illegal or difficult to obtain through your guild which has a lot of connections but you can also then sell it in the other direction say you did steal the crown from the queen's head, how are you going to sell it? Well, the fence at your criminal syndicate may actually be a really good person Mm. to do that, especially for a cut.
0: And there's no mishaps, which could happen if you were doing it, which I I like that idea that you you are a good criminal, but not good enough (laughs) to make sure nothing happens. But I think one thing I do like about the criminal syndicate is this idea, because like we were saying before, with the academy, you're paid a certain amount, whereas here it's like, it does feel like, well, you know, here is here is your, your gold that you got from this job, but we've taken 15% of that. It does it does feel like, oh, they're really organized. They must be like, certainly because it gives the example of like it passes on 85% of the fee to, to the party. And it, it sort mm. of mentions like, oh, well, you know, usually about 15%, but you can go higher or lower. And I was like, damn, all our contracts at my university that we have, they take a lot more. So I'm wondering, yeah. <laughs> it's like, damn, they must this either this syndicate must be really, really successful in your own campaigns. Or I'm actually working for a crime syndicate in real life. Yeah. I can't tell which is which. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, a lot of the places we work for may secretly be crime syndicates. you just never know, would you? it make my life more interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I know, in, in that sort of crazy world. But mm-hmm. yeah. And again, the contact at a crime syndicate can be anywhere from being really good to really bad. Again, you're not really going to have direct access to the people at the top of a crime syndicate because their secrecy probably is quite important to them be it because they don't want somebody to find them and absurpt them, but also law enforcement is the constant bane of any criminal syndicate. So Mm. be it trying to avoid the guards or bribe them in sort of turn effectively, that's going to be its main job and your contact effectively acts as a middle person between you and the hierarchy at the top. Mm. Again, there are some fantastic ideas for this to do with people who have been bribed and have been converted or maybe even people that have betrayed the criminal organization But haven't been found out yet Or there's no clout to actually bring up their existence To the sort of people I like the idea of criminal royalty as well Yeah Like some sort of person of the royal palace Who is in some way connected to the, the criminal guild And nobody's entirely sure why or how? Again,
0: I can't remember the names off the top of my head, but in, in the little town of Saltbush, obviously there's a council, and one of the members on the council, a couple of members on the council are evil dealings and stuff like that, one is a merchant, and one is like an assassin who is, thing. and it's it's interesting to see their connections, I, like on the outside they have this persona, that actually all that drives them is money, greed, and like power, which I, yeah, so that's what it reminded me of here, but in terms of like, syndicate here it feels like oh if you want to have that anti-hero campaign or a little bit more sort of like ooh, a bit darker sort of thing i think the other thing that it did suggest was that like, what if it's the opposite way around you actually are working for good you're just doing it by nefarious means like the the means isn't justifying the end per se mm-hmm. um so for me i was thinking like you know robin hood or any of those things where you're you're giving money back you're robbing the rich to feed the poor. That's something, sort of yeah. which it mentions at some point as well, which I thought was quite yeah, good.
1: Yeah, exactly. The, the idea of a criminal syndicate is it's against the law enforcement of that area. But if the yep. law enforcement are bad or evil, like even, I'm thinking, so perhaps you are a resistance group who are mm. fighting against tyrannical rule, or maybe even you. there is a group of people who are against Strad, for instance, in, in, in Ravenloft. It, that would be you know, a, a criminal syndicate of some kind as well. Mm-hmm so there's all kinds of different bits and that's for you as a dm to sort of play and tweak with but i like this one there's there's a lot of scope for plot based activity and especially quests that maybe would be a little bit more edgy and anti-hero-esque than other mm. patron groups might sort of give you
0: yeah it gives that choice to to the players even though i do like the idea that you know something's happened and they have to do something in order to repay their debt but that sort of feeling that actually once you're in, you're never really out. And yeah. just having that connection and stuff like that. And yeah, I love this idea, like with all of them, like this contact who's like a shady figure in themselves. The one that got me was the clever urchin, which again makes me feel of um, uh, Sherlock Holmes, like the underground network or the irregulars. You're like, oh, God, blame me, governor. You've been told you've not been paying your fees. Oh. Yeah that's not very nice
1: (laughs) yeah exactly i I like the idea of a clever urchin being the one to give you quests involving assassination oh you haven't got a spare silver for a pie and by the way can you kill the pie merchant is uh yeah (laughs) you won't mind it would be a great favor to don okay (laughs) (laughs) i'm just a cheeky chappy yeah a proper
0: artful dodger (laughs)
1: exactly exactly So criminal syndicates uh, represent nefarious groups or people against the authorities the other swing on that is groups that are working with the benefit of the authorities Mm. or or necessarily are are supposedly good groups although we know from lots of campaigns that necessarily that's not true but we now have guilds now Mm. guilds can be anything representing a trade business or skill within a city so you think traditionally of blacksmiths or, or jewelers for instance but you could have anything from Fisherman to the fantastic one within the group. Uh, I think it was the original Salt Marsh book in 3.5 i think it was the second dm's guide or something i can't remember what it was but it had salt marshes this big place and there was a dung sweepers guild oh cool which i thought was the best idea ever literally they're just the street cleaners have <laughs> formed their own guild and their only trade is keeping the streets clean and then underhand selling all of the stuff they find in the bins that people have accidentally Amazing. thrown out Amazing. I, I quite like that one But a guild can be anything that, you know, big, really important things. As I say, blacksmithing would be a good example of a trade that has a lot of money and reputation through it. And then less important things like lamplighting, for instance, would be Mm. something that would be not necessarily big, Mm. but might be reputational enough to hide some other truer sort of guild or consortium, effectively. Mm -hmm. But anything that involves gold or business, trading money, trading objects, trading skills, that you will find in a guild and the quests kind of represent that a little bit with guilds as well they're all to do with the accumulation of money, the the, the furthering of the trade or sort of acquiring the materials to trade whatever business that guild does or even just to actually collect debts and avoid rival businesses. So mm. there's a lot of crossover between a guild and a criminal syndicate sometimes and the quests it can give where maybe there are two merchants' guilds in a city and one is trying to underplay the other one and disrepute it and destroy it from inside. And, and you find yourself doing much more evil quests mm. than you might have imagined working for a reputable, you know, reputable business, effectively. So there's all kinds of things you might be doing as part of the guild, obtaining artifacts, furthering materials, trading, or, you know, disposing of business rivals, if, mm. if you were sort of doing that underhand.
0: There's one right at the end, which, yeah, on the quest ones, you've got obviously the masterpiece, uh, a piece of artwork, being able to sort of like, you've created it either by the guild or acquired it through agents, and you it's now gone missing, You know, getting that back, retrieving that as uh, like collectors. So not necessarily in part of the guild you have a client mysteriously who wants to buy stuff, which yeah, like you said, it can feel like it's, you know, the, the sort of the flip side of the crime syndicate, whereas you know you'd steal it for and sell it on. This is like acquiring it through different means. Then the final one is the bill has come due. Your guildmaster has achieved a vault position by means of an otherworldly bargain. And now the bill has come due and you have to do something <laughs> about it. I was like, that feels like way out of my pay grade. Yep,
1: yep. exactly. Like exactly. Uh, Your third level characters and um, the genie owns someone's soul now. So can you go get it for me? Thank you. That'll yeah. be really cool. Yeah, yep.
0: absolutely. No, totally.
1: But there are perks of being in such a reputable establishment you get accommodation and actually training and resources being the small thing i think you know anywhere that has a assortment of experts within it can be teaching you things and providing you resources for trade but is one thing tucked away in equipment whereas you can use the guild's specialized tools, laboratories libraries and other crafting space and equipment within the guild hall and if you are using it then you can double your proficiency role okay. in anything that is using that skill. artificers, wizards, anybody creating objects or equipment may find a guild incredibly useful so you want to make a staff well, you can do it very cheaply and you can do it with double proficiency so mm-hmm. that works really well i think artifices just are fantastic for guilds generally artifices are one of those classes where you can build and do a lot of things behind the scenes anyway and mm-hmm. this sort of helps that
0: yeah and from what i remember when we did our artificer episode there's well, certainly when we when I did NYX, is that the, there's a whole thing of talking about rivals and stuff. So that fits so well into this, having rivals, having that sort of motivation to one-up the other person, which makes sense. And the other thing that stood out for me in terms of perks is that uh, you pay just an annual fee of 15 gold and that's it. There's no other necessarily like uh, you know if you're part of the guild you represent us but equally it's easy it's easy you're like i don't pay my fee anymore like great you're no longer part of the guild it's just it feels straightforward then maybe the other two would be a little bit more um consequences to if you had to leave for every reason i appreciate like i'm I'm sort of like going these are good but what if you want to leave (laughs) it's like not helpful perhaps it's just interesting
1: about the consequences i guess there is no leaving a guild there is that's just absolutely not something you can do at all (laughs) but guilds can be as well uh, I, I like to think of the sort of explorers' guild being an idea as well. Mm. You don't really have a trade other than stories and finding new places, but mm. cartographers and, you know, explorers can find a place there as mile, well, you know, as people who create or sell things. So there's space for any type of character with any type of skills. This isn't just a charisma thing. This is anything from intelligence to strength to decks, like any skill that you've got, there is a place for it in the guild.
0: And just looking at the context as well. So again, you've got, the attentive overseer that there is someone who you know takes a personal interest in what your group's up to. So I feel like that's the sort of the HR, maybe health and safety person that comes along every so often to see, like, make sure you're, you know, everything's above board and stuff. But then as you go further down the list, you have the golem guide, your guild contact is the soul of a long-dead artisan preserved in a construct body. What where, where did that come from in the in the idea generation meeting? It was like, what about this? And they're like, yeah, that sounds good. And then you've got like the fallen muse, which is like a fallen celestial. Why are they here? You know, somehow they hope that what you do will help them with their ascension, essentially. And it's like, again, these are really cool, but also very, very specific. And again, for me, it would be like, how would you work that into a one shot or even a campaign? Because these are great story hooks, but like, do they affect the rest of the bigger story? Because they seem very sort of important or different, unless it was a really common thing that you just have loads of celestials falling from the sky anyway. Or it's something in the law where any important artisan, it was a mind flayers. That was it where they take the brains or they take the essence and they put them into those brain jars and you have all that information. So that unless it's a part of the culture, I wonder, it's just, yeah. Like I love the ideas, but I'm like, how do, how do we put this in?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You can have as many good ideas as you want, but without a sort of overarching theme it's difficult but that's one of the joys of being a patron and sort of being part of one is that you've got this spine for your story that everything can sort of attach to and and can hold the whole thing up
0: what if ryan i don't want to do any of these things (laughs) i'm like i want to branch out on my own what would you say for that
1: well Right at the end, page 103, there is a little example of being your own patron, which is a really, really cool idea, actually. Uh, generally speaking, we're not going to go into the detail of this too much because I think this warrants a session in itself on mm. just running a business in D&D and, and mm. making your character be its own sort of reputational thing. But the idea is that you can be your own patron if you've got the money, resources or power in order to pull that off effectively let's say you've been running a regular campaign and your characters are of a decent level now and decently sort of established within a community maybe the story has meant that they are now well known the deeds they have done have effectively pushed them towards reputational sort of might or because they've you know they've got money and resources now They can set up as their own group. They can do their own thing. Maybe your paladin has decided to set up their own religious order, or Mm. your rogue wants to set up their own criminal syndicate. Or even you just have become so well-known with the sovereign in the area that you set up your own questing guild. Mm. These are all options that you've got as long as you've got the money and the time to sort of put into it. And again, we'll go into the mechanics of this another time. Mm -hmm. But the idea here is that the DM, this provides a really, really good way of doing a story where you don't necessarily have to be doing something, 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 on a a really short chronological space of time. Mm -hmm. You can do things over a much longer period of time, a campaign that genuinely lasts years where between sessions, maybe there's four weeks, your characters are filling downtime, and then something will happen after four weeks. Mm. It's a really good way of running a story like that. You yeah, know, you've got an organisation to run. Your most of your character's time is actually spent in the running of that organisation, but then suddenly. You know, we get together to play D&D and, oh, someone didn't pay their dues, go and collect it. Or, oh, there's been a disaster in Warehouse 3, go and sort it out. It's a really good way of sort of thinking about things. And the idea of being your own patron is that you give your PCs and your players the opportunity to actually dictate what they do. What story do they want to play? Who do they want to be? It's a really, really good way of sort of giving the keys to them and saying, well, go for it. You tell me what we're playing and then I will deal with the background stuff behind it
0: the story is now in the player's hands, which is, its again, it's I think for maybe a more experienced DM to be able to let control all that sort of story stories go down, like you said, work on the background stuff, I think that's really good. Uh, there are examples of this already in d d so um, Acquisition Incorporated, which is built solely around, like, here is a business franchise and the main characters go out and whilst it started out as a venturing party, they're really now more interested in the money side of it and obviously they mm-hmm. have the whole source book on that and how to run the guild and stuff. But even, uh, again, we're not going to go into too much detail, but in, I think it's Dragon Heist Waterdeep, there is a, a tavern, like a disused tavern called Skol, Troll Skull Manor. There we go. There you go. There we go. Got there. Got my teeth in. Um, <laughs> um, which is like a five-floor like manor house, but also tavern that's run down. And in, during the adventure, your players have the option to actually pick it up and work it and get like regular funds because again that whole adventure is that you don't necessarily get a lot of funds until right at the end when you do the heist and so being able to have like a little stream of income but also then if you do have that you get all the problems with running a tavern and stuff like that so it is it is a way to do it I think I would be careful in the sense like so I play d d in the sense of why this person at this moment in this time what makes this person at this moment different to every single other day and I worry that maybe this sort of like creating your own patron or, or whatever that, you could get into the point it becomes a business simulator. It's that sort of like casual gaming you do on your phone where it just comes like, we mm. do this, we do this. But maybe that's just me. I think as long as you're willing to be like, okay, we're going to have some downtime, this session is going to focus on this particular one. Maybe you're having like, I think I've talked about it before, but the West March sort of campaign style where you have a big guild or a big uh, company of such, and then you have players who don't always play together, but enough players... And you run the sort of ongoing things like that, but then they go out and do one thing, come back. Another team goes out, comes back. So you can always have a changing players but the overall Mm. campaign is more about how do we run this what big things happened because one team might do something that affects all the other teams yeah i I can see it like that i think for me i just wouldn't want to necessarily go you've got a business to run now because then it's like oh god taxes no i want to want to go out and fight i want to do the good thing so i think that, that
1: was the only thing for me from that point of view yeah it's a different style of campaign definitely and it adds a longer term grand plan to everything but as you say it is a good way of getting other players involved if you need a rotating pc uh, ensemble mm. or maybe you want a one-shot-esque system where you have a campaign built of separate encounters that you can chop in and out of this is a really good way of doing it and mm. the benefit of being your own patron is maybe you have one player character one pc who is the actual leader but then some of your other characters are not the leader so you can chop and change between mm you know what you're doing it's it's i think it's quite a nice way of doing it it's a very different campaign and Mm -hmm. i think as i say we'll we'll have an episode where we go into running a business generally because i think it especially with the acquisitions incorporated take on it as well as the dm stuff it can be really exciting but Mm. yeah something to think about
0: as an rpg called monster of the week where essentially it's like buffy or angel that you have the same group of people that fight a monster or something like that and what's really cool about it is that you can create the world from that this is the same sort of setting but you the players create it and maybe with this if you're having it is about the guild it's writing the story about the guild and interesting points in its timeline which you then could probably put into another campaign you know a hundred years ago all these weird things happened as a part of this company which affected the landscape. If you were going to try and write, I don't know, your own story or your own sort of like campaign module, actually playing with players to create these different establishments and put them put them somewhere as uh if you're writing your own module or if you're if you're writing a book, perhaps, you know. So yeah, it's a different way of running a game which I think as long as your players agree to it mm-hmm. and are like have an invested interest in it, I think that's it's just making sure that they are okay on that because it's gonna, it is quite different compared to the other patrons. And yeah. I think the only other thing I'd say as well is that I sounds like to me it's a group patron. So it's like one patron for the whole group. And it, presumably you'd have that at the beginning of the, the campaign and as a way to start things off. But at the same time, you could have it in, in the middle of the campaign. I was wondering whether or not could you have more than two patrons and it's about individuals and would that a create a lot of work perhaps because obviously as a dm you've got to think about these two you know what is the sort of relationship or status between these two people and then the greater sort of um, guilds or whatever between them would that be something that you would do like would you have would you only have say like you can only be part of one guild at a time for all of your members or would you say oh you could have
1: two or two or more in a group absolutely you could be part of two or more i think from a dm's point of view there is a little bit more to think about Mm. although there is a thing where you can only do so much in one session so you don't necessarily have to double prepare every session in the sense that each guild wants you to do something every week that you get together with your players it can alternate between and it could be quite a fun way of, of balancing that and even if it was just different contacts within the same group it would be a good way of, of introducing some flavor you could even have competition and rivalry there yeah. so perhaps after 20 sessions you've got the criminal guild and the actual guild give you the same quest
0: yeah but in different
1: ways and suddenly you have to choose between well how do i solve this in a way that means that neither guild is going to want my scalp or, or suspect yeah. that i may be playing like you know, across yeah. the, the playing field here this is No, it could be really interesting. I think there is a lot more to think about, Mm -hmm. but that's not necessarily something to shy away from.
0: No, no, I I just, again, it's that sort of thing. I was like, how much work do I need to do as a DM to include these sort of things? And like you said, I do feel like patrons are campaign specific so if you know your campaign is definitely more open world compared to say maybe a written module you can have it in there but it's just again justifying why it's there rather than having it there and stand out i guess just for me as a storyteller just being able to maybe i just like smooth edges over my world i don't like yeah. sharp points
1: <laughs> exactly <laughs>
0: Well, Ryan, thank you so much for, for all these things. And, I yeah, I've definitely learned a lot about, you know, how people in the U.S. see what, what kind of organizations we as players would be interested in. But, yeah, it's all good food for
1: thought. Um, what are you up to? Anything to plug? Anything going on in the Civ 6 world? <laughs> There's always stuff going on. Now You can come and find me on, on YouTube. I'm Ursa Ryan. Come and uh, say hello. I've got the Ursa Ryan Discord as well. So you can come and talk to me about D&D if you would like. But no, things are pretty good at the moment. I cannot complain. How big how are you doing? What are you up to?
0: I, I am very... Thank you. I'm very well. Um, my name is Fiona. I run the What Am I Rolling podcast, a twice-monthly RPG one-shot podcast. As always, it's going very well. I am behind on my editing, as always, but it's um it's been really good. I've had some really good feedback about a couple of the episodes that I've got out. We've had Below, which was a very intense solo RPG, which I got some really good feedback on. And of course, uh, Ryan, I know you know about this, but it's first time I can announce on this podcast, but we actually have a discount code for an actual friendly local game store which is really exciting. That's
1: true. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic.
0: So, so there is a game store called Third Space Gaming. I oh got I'm going to get the name wrong that's really embarrassing. <laughs> Third Space Gaming. Anyway, they are um they own Burnley so near my hometown. and Burnley. Uh, Burnley. And basically, if you use the offer code DMBC at checkout, you get 10% off your first order on any of the RPG products or any products in the thing. So if you're into your minis, if you want to get the new d d book, obviously Van Richen, Richen's, uh Guide to Monsters or whatever it's called, that's coming out. Do it there. And uh, it's, it's quite nice to see that people have started using it. So, yep, if you want to use it, it's the DMBC at checkout for 10% off
1: there you go look, we've, we've grown up we're all we're all official now i hate it <laughs> like
0: being an adult. well until next time friends thanks for listening and we will speak to you hear from you we'll do something with you next time
1: see you later
0: bye, bye.